0: Good morning again. There seems to be more of you here today than there were last Sunday. <laughs> Just a general guess here. There were about 20 of us here last Sunday since I, uh, since I offered to ski over. I did ski over Saturday night and Sunday, and um, I actually got five times skiing in. I think Friday was probably my last day to ski, but I'm not bitter about that. Anybody enjoying the weather today? OK, me too. Now, another show of hands, let's see how honest people are. Anybody complain about the weather last weekend? Okay, yeah, all right. We had a few people making snide remarks about the weather last weekend. Talking about God's life lessons. What did God teach you with the blizzard? We have no control, okay. Somebody else? <laughs> Never assume anything, okay. Thank God for a four-wheel drive truck, yeah? Yeah. Alright. Anything else? Yeah. The beauty of it. Yeah. I actually really like white and cold versus brown and cold myself. I'm kind of biased that way. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Thank God for the snow plow that was in front of you. Yes. Yeah, Nathan. Be patient in everything. Spring will come. Just be patient. Yeah, right. Okay. Minnesota's bipolar. <laughs> okay (laughs) it's definitely polar sometimes (laughs) sometimes he teaches us to rest yeah maybe you had a more restful sabbath sunday than you often do i was preparing this sermon so did, did you all enjoy the snow day from church i was preparing this sermon about complaining because we think we're in control or celebrating and being content And then God gave us a blizzard. So I was like, well, nobody else is maybe prepared for this Sunday, but I'm prepared for this Sunday. And I sent some of you some, in case you want to read some text about this, because it it does seem like, you know, God is the creator, and he seems to do what he wants to do as the creator. And he seems to uh, give us rain, and he seems to not give us rain sometimes, and kind of does what he wants to do. So I did make a conscious choice to celebrate, to ski, to notice the beauty, and I don't think I did complain, because I, of course, I also was snug at home with my wife, having a fine time. There were other people who were traveling and having more difficult times. If I'd been traveling someplace, it might have been more difficult. But I did meet somebody in our Tuesday prayer meeting who was stuck in Dallas for a couple days, because the airport was closed, and she managed to be content and minister to people there, and praise God, have an okay time. I guess it's possible to do that even then. So this lesson of what is God teaching us in life and in the circumstances that come our way? And what is happening? Is it, um, one of the things that I think is very interesting, well, my nephew travels a lot. He said in the airport, people get upset when there's flight delays as if it's about them. You delayed this flight because you don't like me, is basically the attitude. And God sent this blizzard just to get in my way and annoy me. We tend to have a view of life that's pretty much centered around us. You know, like, actually the universe doesn't revolve around the earth or around me. It actually revolves around the sun and some other (laughs) galaxies. And there's other things going on besides what I wanted to get done today. So so let's pray before we go on. Lord, we want to come to you. We want to hear from your word. We want to hear what you have to teach us today from your word and from life. So please speak to us. Amen. It's going to be kind of difficult in life, isn't it, if your attitude and your joy follows the thermostat. At least if you live in Minnesota. It's going to be difficult to, to have a life that, that your, your joy follows the thermostat. But we, um, we're going to have some hard times. We're going to have some difficult things and some challenges. And so we need to have something more that can help us. There are tough things in life, right? And I don't know what all each of you, I do know what some of you are going through, some difficult things. How do we manage, how do we manage to trust God? How do we manage to even not complain in those times? I read a uh, scripture earlier about not complaining and you'll shine like stars in the universe. I remember when I was working as a uh, CNA, and, and pretty much that was the culture was just complaining all the time. And I realized I don't actually have to give out tracks If I just didn't complain, it would really be a bright thing in this, just this nursing home. But it's not that easy to do. Uh, I also found that out. It's not that easy to not complain, especially when everybody else is complaining. And it seems like that's the way to have a conversation, is to complain about, you know, jump onto the complaints of somebody else and, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. So how do we how do we handle life? And then the other question we have is, is there good news for physical needs? Is there a gospel about our physical needs? So there are a number of gospels out there about physical needs. So one of them is the prosperity gospel, we call it health and wealth. Uh, there, some people, maybe other people say word of faith, maybe if they were within. But basically the idea that God, you're a king's kid you should have everything that a king's kid has so go for it and when you say words they're also creative like God's when God says words so you should confess positively you'll get whatever you confess and so if you just have the right formula you'll get all the good stuff you'll be healed you'll be wealthy you won't miss anything and that's I think a truth but too much it's the promised land is coming, but it's actually the promised land is here. We're in the promised land. We are already in the kingdom, and it's all here. Um, the opposite of that sort of is the scarcity gospel, a kind of a suffering and poverty gospel. And, and no, So when the bishops were rich, St. Francis of Assisi reacted by going and giving up all of his stuff to his dad, even taking his clothes off, and, and uh, he was... And that came into the Catholic Church as a, a vow of poverty for for people and monks, and and there's this expectation that people in ministry or missionaries especially should have a vow of poverty and and really should have you know not have much, so that um, you know CEOs can make a lot of money, but if a pastor makes a lot of money, ooh, that's in a missionary. But of course, if you're an NGO or UN, you get paid double to be on hardship pay someplace else, right? But we have this kind of opposite thing where you should be. Lower. If you're, you should be simple, and that's there's some truth in that. We wanna, we want to not be extravagant, but can we enjoy anything, or does it have to be everything? And I, I'll be honest. I grew up with some of this. My, uh, my dad built a house over nine and a half years. Did everything on the house, but he kind of felt guilty about. And it was a 24 by 36 house. You know, it wasn't very big, um, but he felt guilty about how nice it turned out. Um, and, uh, can, you know, and so there was, there was some of that that, uh, you know, we pretty much wore hand-me-downs, and it was, part of it was just necessity. But uh, we might as well make a, a virtue out of necessity, right? So, uh, um, but there was a little poverty is next to godliness kind of uh, feel. Um, so there's also, and this is very common, I think, a spiritual gospel. Jesus just saves souls. So Jesus now is saving you spiritually. When you get to heaven, he'll heal you, he'll feed you, he'll, he'll take care of all that other stuff. And, but for now, it's really a spiritual salvation. What this ends up producing is kind of a split gospel. So you seek the American dream plus heaven insurance. You know, you've got health insurance, disability insurance, unemployment insurance, but, you know, God can take care of that other piece that you haven't covered with your retirement, which is heaven insurance. But basically, the rest of the week, you're after what everybody's after. The American dream, get all the stuff you can, and all those things, the advertisements tell you that if only you had this, you'd be happy. You keep buying that. Literally, in two ways. Um, Or trying. or, Or getting in debt to that dream. Whichever way it works. That if only I had something else. So, I think each of these has some truth, but I think there's somewhat of a distortion of what the gospel teaches. So let's go back to our scripture. We were talking about Exodus, and in the Exodus geography, we started out in Egypt over here, and we're on the journey now. 13 to 18, we'll get to Mount Sinai, and then the rest of Pentateuch is this stuff. But Exodus takes us here to Mount Sinai, And it's on this journey. So on the journey, God is moving. And I want you to notice something. There are, these are the major roads, the trade routes. God did not take them on the major roads that would have taken them, you know, I I told you it took me a day to travel on the bus. It might have taken them a few weeks to to walk the major roads, but God took them off-roading. Still a popular site for off-roading. Because it's a desert. And you'll notice how this is shaded. There's like zero to three inches of rain in the Sinai. So if you're looking for water, it's not the place to look unless you want salt water and you can go to the ocean. But if you guys like sun, you guys are big on sun, great place to be. You don't like precipitation, rain, snow stuff, go there. I mean, they love to have some snow, but... uh, God takes them off-roading through this desert down to Sinai where they spend a long time. Why does he do that? Why does he take them out of the way? He's trying to shape a people, a new kind of people, not Egyptians. He's trying to break their idolatry to other things they depend on. He's trying to shape them, and he he wants to shape us into a new kind of people. And through the the years, the the church has talked about this journey as kind of the journey we're on. We're saved. We're delivered from Egypt. We're on our way to the promised land, but we haven't crossed the Jordan. You know all the songs about chili Jordan and getting across into heaven. Um, We're on this journey where God is teaching us life lessons. And he's teaching us, one of the first things after you get saved, he often teaches you about provision, about daily bread. And actually it's something he keeps teaching us. How do we learn from God's life lessons on the desert journey? When there is no water, what do we learn? God lets them be thirsty. He lets them be hungry. And he teaches them. So we're continuing Exodus we read last time most of that. And we're going to look in Deuteronomy. And water and what's it. So the, what is it is what they called manna. is actually the Hebrew word for what is it. That's literally manna means what's it. What is it? Because this stuff fell on the ground and then they picked it up and they ate it. And some people gathered more, some people gathered less. But they every day in the morning there was this dew-like stuff that They were able to eat except on the Sabbath. So God was very clearly teaching them, I am giving you your daily bread. And Sundays, no, it was Saturdays for them, you don't need to work. You don't need to collect bread. I will let you carry that over. I'll provide enough on Friday, in their case, for the Sabbath. He was teaching them how to depend daily on Him, for physical needs. And he was teaching them, I am providing for you. I want to provide for you. And we talked about that it tastes like honey. It was, it was good. Tasted good. Very nutritious. And uh, he provided that as well as he gave water in the desert where there was none. We didn't read the story in detail, but Moses went out and struck a rock when they were thirsty, and water came out, enough for all the people. So God was teaching them, moment by moment, how to trust Him for physical things. And so part of the gospel we need to get is that God will give water and food and lessons in finding life, true life, physical life and all else there is to life and life that lasts forever, real life, and learning to trust Him for that. He's going to provide life and trust for now and forever. And everything else we need. Everything else we need. Including the lessons and the learning. Um, so God's giving us these life lessons. And I, I like this, script, this, uh, this uh, picture because it shows both the journey in life and also this, the scripture. So we're watching the Israelites doing this journey and we ourselves are walking in that journey, in our own journey, and finding life where we're going. Now I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them one time when God provided something for you. When did God give you something you needed? I want one story. Not a story, just a time when God, doesn't have a long story. What did God provide for you? Yeah. Okay. Was it possible you might have died when you were born? Okay. That's true. Good point. You didn't die when you were born. One of the the things I like about African testimony services, at least in Tanzania, people often said, you know, especially New Year's, you know, we're here and there are people who didn't get to see this year. Praise God. Just life is a huge blessing we often take for granted. So God will give us all you need. God will give you everything you need. Therefore, trust him. That's really what we need to learn to do is trust. Instead of complaining to others, request to God. Celebrate everything he gives us. And then say it, write it, sing it. I hope you started a list of the things that God has done for you. I've been working on mine. It's really helpful to count your blessings and just realize all the things because it's really easy to start on the other list about what, you know, what I, the grumbling list, the complaint list. Um, so I have to make a conscious effort to do the other and learn the lessons from life <laughs> to find whether I'm grumbling or gratitude. In this picture, this man could either be grumbling about that he only has bread and soup, or he can be grateful that he has bread and soup. And... That's what we find all along in our lives. We can be grateful, or we can say, But if only I had, right? Uh, proverbially, is the glass half empty or half full? Are you grateful for the water that's in there? Um, so, I want to ask about why learn the Torah. Now, the Torah is the five books of Moses, um, especially, the Bible for Israel for Jesus, and the early church. So the books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, are those five books. Now, those are generally the five books we tend to avoid. So like, oh, it's time for my Bible reading plan for the year. Hmm, could I just skip and start with Joshua? Well, let me skip the part where he divvies out the land, too. But anyway, um, we have these places we like to skip. And most of us I'll be honest, even me, I have uh, some hesitation about some of those parts of Leviticus that are a little bit uh, deep. (laughs) Some of the deep weeds. Um, So why should we learn it? Well, I'm going to contend that unless you know the Torah, unless you know those books, you cannot understand the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, or the life and preaching of Jesus and others in the early church. Why? Because it was their Bible. When Jesus quoted the Bible, it was the Torah. When, when Paul says all Scripture is inspired and useful, he was talking about the Torah. He wasn't talking about what he wrote. Um, so I want us to look at Deuteronomy 8. So Deuteronomy 8 is at the end of the time of this journey. After the 40 years, Moses preaches Deuteronomy as this sermon that is setting them up for going into the land. So it's actually a different circumstance than when they're just starting out just learning. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So that's the fifth book. Somebody, and you have, you have Bibles in front of you. Somebody tell me the page number in your Bible in front of you there. 131. So okay, if you're picking up the Bible in front of you, it's on page 131. Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live lessons for life and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember. So it's important to remember the lessons that have been taught to others, others that you know. I remember the time when my grandfather got rain just in time to save the crops so they could pay the land, the eighty. Acres. I remember the times my parents were provided for. I remember the times God's provided for me and other people you know. And also these things. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Those are times when we find out what's really in us, isn't it? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, the mouth of Yahweh. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those forty years. Now then, in your heart, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You know, when you teach your kids, You teach them things often with very basic things like food, right? The first thing you do is they're born and you breastfeed them. You feed them and they cry and you feed them. And Where we have at the beginning in Exodus is God doing that kind of stuff. They cry, he feeds them. They cry, he gives them water. They cry, he's teaching them that I will supply your needs. And that's what we do with babies, right? We supply immediately so that they get, I can trust my parents. I can trust the world and hopefully... That'll get to I can trust God to provide my needs. Now, when they get a little older, like you guys, they might not, you know, respond in the same way when you do what you did as a baby. You know, like ah, I want, I want it. They might say, "Wait till supper. It's just an hour away. Just wait till supper." They, they discipline you. They teach you some new things, and then they say, "Now, you know, maybe here's a little allowance." And uh, see how you, you, oh, you used up your allowance. Sorry. Um, Maybe you could get a job. You know, so slowly we learn to do some things and to depend. And, right, we discipline our kids. And God likewise disciplines us with the things he gives us and doesn't give us. And initially he often gives us a lot. But, okay, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. You can imagine how that sounded after 40 years in the desert. Wow. Of course, those of us who live in Minnesota, we're like, oh, whatever. Springs? Water? Whatever. Whatever. It's raining again. My goodness, I was going to do something this weekend. Now there's snow. You realize the snow means that when you open your faucet, something comes out from the Mississippi River. That all comes through the Mississippi River to all of us in St. Paul because it snowed in northern Minnesota. Thank you to those of us who lived in northern Minnesota. Um. It is a wonderful thing that we get snow, that we get rain. We have a blessed, the Iron Range is full of iron. Not quite as much as it used to be. But, uh, (laughs) you know, we, Minnesota is a blessed land. And a lot of us came here because it was the promised land. From Scandinavia or from Africa or whatever. Well, it's not quite all the promised land. We still have some promised land to go yet. Um, the American dream isn't all there is, fortunately. But we need to be thankful for rain, for a drink. Now, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Here, here praise God for Minnesota. Praise God for Minnesota. All right. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Any of us ever have any danger of that? Any of us in America ever think it's because we're Americans that we have all this? Instead of because God provides it for us? Because God has chosen to bless us? Is there anything special about America? Really? I mean, God has given us great blessings. That's great. But it's about God. It's not about because of who I am as an American or our country. It's because of God's provision. We have to thank him for that. If we don't, we'll be in trouble. He he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Is that possible? Some of us could think it's my education, my skill, my family, my country, my whatever. It's really easy, isn't it? To think that I worked hard and I got this and I deserve this and rather than that. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. It's him who gave you life, so you didn't die at childbirth. It's him who gave you food, so you weren't enough food, so you actually weren't mentally impaired as you were growing up. It's him who gave you education, opportunities, everything you have, just the strength in your body to do the things that you do. God gave those to you. So don't be proud about how much you've accomplished. Thank him for how much you've accomplished and that he's given you the ability to do that, to live, to And this ends with a warning. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying Yahweh your God. And this happened to the Israelites. They came in. God blessed them. They got proud and they turned to other things instead of remembering God. And God conquered them, destroyed them. And there's nothing special about us that that can't happen again. It's happened throughout history. And I think we're in danger of forgetting that we didn't do this. Remembering that Yahweh, our God, provided everything we have. Um, So I want to... So this is what I just read. (laughs) Um, I want to skip ahead to, to Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, this story and these things are picked up. But Jesus also uses this. So y- I'm, you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Torah. And unless you un- So let's look at a couple passages, Matthew 4 and Matthew 6, to see how Jesus responded to this. So Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. that sound familiar? It's very much like Moses who spent 40 years on the, 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai without eating or drinking Elijah, who went, went to Mount Sinai, and very much like Israel, who God led into the wilderness, to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry, not unlike those 40 days from those other people, or 40 years for the Israelites. Notice you can't understand Matthew if you haven't read the back text. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The Bible says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did Jesus get that from? Deuteronomy 8, we just read it. So, and in fact, the other two temptations, Jesus also responds with scriptures from Deuteronomy. It looks like Jesus had memorized Deuteronomy. When he hit a temptation, he was like, well, actually, Deuteronomy says, how many of us have memorized Deuteronomy? But Jesus did, and it helped him to avoid temptation. It helped him to learn life lessons. When he came to that place in his life, he was like, oh, actually, this is like what happened to the Israelites, and they were told this, so, therefore, the answer is this scripture. When you come up against trials and troubles, and, or good things in life, you need to think, oh, you know, this is like what scripture said. When I have plenty, I have to remember that this came from God. When I have problems, I have to remember that God can, and Jesus remembered. And When you're starting out, you know, early on in that wilderness journey, God gave them daily bread. Daily bread. He just gave it to them. And then, in fact, sometimes one one place I read it said, often early on God gives us raisin bread. Like we pray for something. God, please help me with this. And like, wow, God does it. And we're like, wow, I can trust God. He, I prayed about that and he provided this. How many of you had that experience, especially early on in your Christian life? Yeah. God provided it. And then later on, you start growing up a little bit, and God starts to say, wait till supper. Right? And in this case, wait 40 days for supper. And Jesus chose to say, no, I'm going to depend on every word that comes from God rather than use my power to provide for my needs. Jesus said, whatever God says, that's what I'll eat. If he says, today for breakfast, it's stones. Tomorrow for breakfast, rocks. Forty days of rocks, that's what I'm going to eat. When he says bread, I'll eat bread. But until then, I'm not using even the power I have to provide for myself. There's definitely a tendency to use our Christianity to provide for ourselves. To make godliness a way to gain. But Jesus didn't do that. Um, He took whatever God gave from heaven. Matthew 6. In the Lord's Prayer, he said, Give us today our daily bread. I think it's a very good thing to say grace over meals. To be thankful. And even to wake up and say, God, give me my daily bread today. To remind God. To ask and not just assume that God will give us spring or that God will give us (laughs) daily bread. But ask. Ask for what we need. And then thank Him on a regular basis when He gives it. And then He says, so don't worry about these things. Anybody have any trouble with worry or anxiety? I I do. And it's about trying to control. Trying to make sure that I have things in control, but he says, "Don't worry about these things." Saying, "What will we eat? What will we drink? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough insurance? What if the mortgage? What? If, what will we wear?" These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously or justly, and He will give you everything you need. See, most of us are scared to live a just life. We're scared to share and to change the system that works for us because what will happen to me if I do? So we have to keep the system working for us. We have to keep enough for us. We, We can't really share as much as we might if we really trusted that God would provide for us. Right? But if we seek the kingdom of God first... And even work in, uh, live a life of justice and righteousness with others, knowing that God knows everything you need. He'll take care of it. That would give us courage to do a lot more um, than we do otherwise. So joy in the journey, I'm not going to read this passage, but the answer to what is it, finally comes in Matthew, in John chapter 6. First, earlier in John, Jesus talks about river, rivers of living water flowing out of you, t- re- referencing the, the flowing streams that Moses brought. But in, in John, he, he feeds 5,000 people, which is a reference to what? Moses feeding people. And then, after they've been fed, they come and say, so... What are you going to do to show us that you're really the Messiah? Because we thought, you know, the Messiah was going to do like Moses and feed us, and we're hungry. So you did that 5,000 thing, but, you know, he did it like every day. And, Moses, and Jesus answers and says, you know, actually, the bread that comes from heaven is me. I am. Remember the word the Yahweh means I am? Jesus says, I am. I am God is what he's really saying. I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. Ultimately, what we really need to find life is not just bread every day. We need Jesus. Now with Jesus comes bread and food and provision. So it's not that God ignores the physical needs. But God wants to give us all that, but we get all that through Jesus. Jesus is not only Physical, but spiritual, emotional, relational, all that you need is there. And also, he wants to make you a blessing too. Make us a kingdom, make us this new people. But Jesus is ultimately the answer to what is it? He's the true manna from heaven. So we can complain to try to control, or we can celebrate and be content. And we can have grace, and we can have a holistic gospel of grace. What I mean is everything we get is a grace, whether it's physical, spiritual, and yes, we're in the wilderness. We're not getting it all now. We will get sick sometimes, but God heals. But he, ultimately we will die, but there's resurrection. He feeds us, but sometimes we go hungry. That happens in the wilderness, but God is using us and training us in this process. Um, Joy in the journey, Paul. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures here. I'm not going to go through everything. Um, also, 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to look that up. He talks about those who gathered, gathered a little and those who had gathered much. They all had. And he's encouraging them to give and to do that justice so that they can share with each other so that those who have plenty now will, not, will have plenty later. I thought it was uh, great that people were helping Jeanette Gudgel yesterday to move. And uh, we had people moving her stuff out of her place. And that stuff was, she had plenty of furniture, is going to maybe go to some of the newer families, refugees who are here. And at the same time, she, there are newer families and Africans who are mostly the nurses and, and assistants who are taking care of her. And there's, when we have plenty, there's other things that come to us. And we eat together with many people. Um, and in that, te- in that passage, there's three words that are used, and it's woven everywhere. In Greek, it's very obvious what the connection is. Karis, in Greek, is grace. You Eucharisteo is thanksgiving. Kara is joy. There is a connection, folks. When we realize that everything we have is grace, and we give thanks for everything, we have a lot more joy. And that joy feeds back, and there's this, this cycle of things that happen. And he's also saying, as you share that grace with others who are poor, who are needy now, that goes in thanks to God, and that will, God will again return to us. So, um, then I I want us to look at Philippians 4. Quickly. Um, Philippians 4, chapter 4 is a, 4-4 is a, common thing we've heard. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Joy in God. We can have joy in God even if we can't have joy in the blizzard or joy in the circumstances or joy in the cancer or joy in the divorce or joy in whatever. We can still rejoice in the Lord. Says it again. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This is part of our problem. We think the Lord is far away. He doesn't really know what my issues are, so I have to take care of all this stuff. Yeah, okay, heaven someday. Maybe, if, you know, if I could really break through with some fasting and prayer, you might listen to me or something. But no, the Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God instead of anxiety, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So, uh, Max Licato in a book I'm reading and some of the Ladies are reading sometimes. Is it okay, ladies, those of you in the book club that sometimes they read your books? So anxious about nothing is the book they're reading. Um, so I've been reading it some too. And he, this is the simple thing he gets out of this passage. Celebrate God's goodness. Ask God for help. Leave your concerns with God. Once you've asked him, don't just like, okay, I need this. But bring it back. You know, leave it with him. You know, I need this. Leave it with him to take care of, and then meditate on good things. But he goes on and talks also about being content. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And he talks about how they provided for him. I am not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned, Paul says, to be content, whatever the circumstances. Do you remember where he's writing this from? From jail. From jail right? He's in jail. He's saying, you know what? I'm fine. I'm content. I'm glad you sent me food, you know, because they don't give us any food in the jail, but that was good of you. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, what a lot of people don't know, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Now, all of us love that last phrase. I can do anything through him who gives me strength. And we put on our superhero cape, I can do anything. Right? I can be hungry. Whoa, whoa. No, no, that's, no, just the last phrase, please. He's saying, I can be hungry through Christ who gives me strength. And I can be content. Well, that's actually pretty amazing. That's some pretty good... Power from God to be content when you're hungry. He goes on and says, "It was good of you to to share in my troubles," and he says, "I'm not actually looking for for my stomach, but want to see what's credited to your account. I've received full payment, even more, and I'm amply supplied." How many missionary letters do you get like that? I'm amply supplied. No, it's good. I'm good, and you know what? We're thankful to the giving that you give. We got the report last time. We're good. We're amply supplied. We rejoice in what God gives us. And then he ends it with, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But you notice that he'll meet all your needs is at the end of thanks for sharing. God meets our needs because sometimes we have plenty and we can provide for others, and sometimes they have plenty and can provide for us. There's an African proverb that says the grandma feeds the baby when the baby has no teeth so the baby can feed the grandma when the grandma has no teeth. <laughs> and the person who told me that was applying it to Europe, America, and Africa that we supplied to Africa when it was, when it was a new church. And now we're receiving from Africa and we're going to need to receive from Africa. And we provide for each other. When you supply, that's part of how God provides for you. You care for others in a caring community, then you get provided for as well. Um, I'm going to have to send you home to read 1 Timothy 6, 5 to 20. So 1 Timothy 6, 5 to 20, write that down. But he talks about how to be content. He talks about how God gives us everything to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy. We really, the prosperity gospel is right that we should enjoy all that God gives us. But there's also suffering. There's also times of hunger. There's also difficult things that also God can even give us joy in that. And that's even more amazing. Um, But he says that some people act like godliness is a means to gain, as in physical gain. That's kind of where the prosperity gospel in my mind switches things. That if I'm godly enough, if I have faith enough, if I say the right words enough, if I fast and pray, God will give me stuff that's kind of the wrong way around. It's really about me following God and Him teaching me stuff when He gives stuff, when He withholds stuff, and learning to trust Him. So um, grumbling or gratitude? We have a choice, but it really depends upon how we see what happens in our lives, right? It depends upon whether we're trying to be in control and therefore, anxious, worried, complaining, or whether we celebrate. I got to drink this morning. We had precipitation. That means I'm going to get to drink tomorrow. We had rain on the crops. Can we, be, can we celebrate that and be content? Now, this is a secret that God has to work in us. And you know what? He does it in our daily lives. When you get something, when you don't get something, when you want something, we not only help each other, we also help each other to trust God. So what's it? Well, Christ. Jesus is really the answer, ultimately, what we need, when we're everything else is. He is the creator. He is the supplier. He is the savior. And then there's care in community, where some gather much, some gather little, but everybody had enough. When they all went out and gathered, the young people got a lot, and the old people didn't get so much, but they brought it into the tent. It was enough for everybody. Then celebrate and ask. Celebrate what you get. Ask for what you need. Because God actually gave it to you and wants to give it to you. And then be content. Live in joy. And live the life lessons of grace. That's, you know, I think a good custom. It's just a custom. I mean, the, the Jews got it from Deuteronomy 8, how, how they say grace. Hindus and, and uh, Muslims and others do it as well. But the Christian custom of just saying grace before and or after a meal and saying thank you for this and saying please bless those who don't have and saying give us our daily bread as a daily discipline. God wants to give you all you need. And it's okay if you're not super spiritual and you need some physical stuff. God knows about that. He also wants to teach you in the midst of all that physical stuff what he wants you to do, how he wants you to trust him and be content. I don't know what you're facing today. And Would the worship team come up? I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what physical need, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, or maybe it's a relational need, maybe it's a um, sense of purpose, maybe it's a whatever it is, Uh, maybe it's challenges at your work, challenges at your homework, whatever it is, God wants to meet you, he wants, Jesus wants to be the bread of life for you and give you real life. Let's pray together. Lord, we bring to you our needs. We ask you to meet our needs. Individually, as families, as communities. We need food. We ask for clothing and shelter and water. We ask for you to provide our needs. And we know that you give so liberally. You bless us with more snow than we even needed. You bless us with so much, and this week, more sun than we even needed. Lord, we are grateful for what you give us. We ask that you would please work in us the secret of contentment and joy and thanksgiving and trust in you. We can't do it but we trust that you can. I'm going to say a blessing over you, and then we're going to sing, and you can go as you want. But may you be blessed in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you be blessed in your work, in your eating, in your sitting, your lying down, your getting up. May you know the joy of receiving God's grace in everything this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.